Hello, and welcome to the Alcahunt Podcast. The podcast says, thank you, Mario, but our princess is in another castle. I'm EJ. I'm Beth. Ah, sweet sound of success. How are you tonight, Beth? I'm hungry. You're always hungry when it's time to record podcasts. Hungry for knowledge. I'm hungry for a sandwich. Well, I'm not discussing anything to do with food at all. Neither Um, am I. Unless... Oh, whatever. If you're gross. Probably could be. I'm not gross. Well, maybe I'm gross. Eh. Debatable. Yes. Yes, it is. So, Beth, I believe that tonight is actually your night to educate and inform and enlighten us or entertain us. Yes. And actually, I got my inspiration from a monumental event that we attended this weekend. A monumental event. Yes. We went to a monument. No. It was eventful. We went to a wedding. Oh, those things. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> those are monumental life events. Oh, you didn't say life events. All right, I'll stop being like that. <sighs> Maybe. So, the whole wedding thing got me thinking about wedding rings. If you like to dig your hand and put a ring on it. Yes, they did play that song at the reception. You're right. It was also written on the wall. It was. At the reception hall. Good thing you already put a ring on it, huh, baby? Yes. <laughs> um, examples of the first wedding ring were found in ancient Egypt, actually. But the rings traded between the spouses then were more likely made of braided hemp or reeds. Well, but... In the desert climate, them are still going to hold up. They're not going to deteriorate. Yeah. So it's possible that someone somewhere else had them sooner. Possibly. But we just don't know. Because... We just don't know. Um, the Egyptians, though, did consider that a circle was a symbol of eternity, and the ring represented a sign of perpetual love of the spouses. Aww. Aww. Have some hair. The Egyptians were also the ones that came up with the custom of wearing the wedding ring on the ring finger of the left hand. Do you know why? Because they believed that there was a vein from the heart to that finger. correct. Look at you, Mr. Romantic. You know things. It's not true. Well, that's what they believed. They believed a lot of things. It sounds romantic. Okay. (laughs) However, though... (laughs) Western traditions of wedding rings can more readily be traced back to ancient Rome and Greece. Rome again? Greece again? Where they were more so in the beginning associated with the dowry and later on than the promise of fidelity. What's a dowry? You wouldn't know. You didn't get one, did you? But I'm pissed. Still waiting on that, aren't you? Yeah, I want my three pigs. Yeah, you'll be waiting a while. Although I do like bacon. And a goat that goes, "Ah, ah." Because goats that don't sound like goats are the best thing ever. I feel that you will get tired of that goat. That it will annoy you. (laughs) (laughs) Those are awesome, too. One. Um, In the United States. I put my mouth too close to the mic there. Sorry, guys. Wedding rings were initially worn only by wives. It wasn't until the 20th century when both spouses started wearing them. Oh, that's 20th century something else. Oh, okay. I'm like, what are you doing? 
Spazzing. But I want to talk about some of the different stages of the wedding rings throughout the ages. Different stages? Stages. Styles. Okay. Whatever you prefer. Um, we're going to talk about the Gimmel rings. Guys, that pause there was because I looked out a window like Beth did last time. And yeah, she had to stop when I looked out a window too. <laughs> Do you know what a Gimmel ring is? Uh, no. I could guess, but I'm sure I'm wrong. Well, in Europe during the 16th and 17th centuries, it was customary for the man to give a woman a gimel ring or a puzzle ring. Ooh, that sounds fun. It consisted of two interlocking bands. The man and the woman both wore one of the bands during their engagement period, and then during the wedding ceremony, the two bands were joined together, and then the wife wore both. Sweet. So she's kind of like the magician there. It's got five rings, holds them all in his arms, and they're all hooked together. And then they're juggling them all, and well, then they're all back together. it was only two rings. The magician, though, would have more than two because you can't juggle with just two yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of... Have you ever heard of a posy ring? A pocket full of them. Not a pocket full of posies. Yeah, that was for the plague. Yeah, that's not right. No. These were the rings of choice during the Renaissance era. And these rings were normally sterling silver and had a poem inscribed inside of them. Uh, Thus, a posy ring. Poem and posy mean the same thing? During the Renaissance, they did... <laughs> Um, you might find this interesting, too. In the Middle East, historically, the puzzle ring was the ring of choice. Why? Um, well, the thing about this ring is it's very difficult to put the ring on properly. Thus, if you take the ring off, it's almost impossible to get it back on the way it was so the husband could tell if the wife removed her wedding ring. What possible need would the wife have to remove her wedding ring? In the Middle East. I have no idea. I would never, ever want to remove my wedding ring. <laughs> Sometimes I take mine off to handle hamburger. I expect that, you um, know. I take mine off almost daily to put lotion on because I don't like getting the lotion all up in the crevices of the little... Nobody likes lotion in their crevices. <laughs> Another European ring of choice is called the Fetty ring, which is two hands... Those are fun! Huh? Funfetti? Yes? Well, I think I'm saying it's right. It's F-E-D-E. -E. Oh, Fetti. I thought you said Fetti. I was like Funfetti cake, Funfetti cupcakes. two you know? hands clasped together in betrothal. <sighs> I like Funfetti more. Um, did you know that during World War II, the, um, due to British wartime restrictions, a new ring came about called the Utility Wedding Ring? Sweet. It was limited to a maximum mass of two penny weights, which is just a little heavier than three grams. And it was forged out of nine carat gold instead of the traditional 22 carat. And the regional assessor's office hallmarked the rings, guaranteeing that their gold content was actually in compliance with wartime regula regulations. They also carried a special hallmark that resembled a capital U but with the bottom curve absent. So it was like 
two J's facing each other almost, like lowercase J's without the dots. Without, it was you without an umlaut and a missing bottom. Um, they also described it as parentheses with a space between them. Not parentheses. What are these? Parentheses. I thought these were... No, that's quotation marks. Okay, yes. Then she's doing the hand gestures for quotation marks, <laughs> but she's just kind of cupping her hands and holding them on either side of her face. You knew what I meant, though. Yeah, yeah. But hand gestures on a podcast work as good for you as they do for me. Now we know. The double ring ceremony is actually pretty much an American innovation from the 20th century. Go us. We like to just innovate. Well, the American jewelry industry decided to introduce a marketing campaign in the 1920s. Got birthstones and this? Is there anything they won't think of? Well, 1920s didn't work out so well because they tried introducing a male engagement ring, but that really failed. Did it make the prices right music? That did do do do. It, it probably did because they found out that most guys did not want to be proposed to by the woman. Okay. <laughs> not very progressive 1920s. Well, by the late 1940s, the double ring ceremonies were 80% of all weddings in the United States. And the rising... It, it just takes a generation. The rising expectation of equality between the sexes made the trend stick. Well, feminism wasn't even a thing in the late 40s, right? Or in the 40s? It was, you didn't say late, you just said 40s. Late. I just said the 40s. The late 40s, like the, 1940s. By the, the late 1940s, the double ring ceremony. The, the feminism feminism ideal didn't come out until the 60s, right? Am I getting this correct? Good God, this is something I don't want to be incorrect I'm about. a horrible feminist, I couldn't tell you. I don't know the history Well, but I like well. the idea of the equality between the sexes starting earlier than the movement. Yeah. At least for, you know, some people's ideology, that's a good thing. Um, this trend actually has carried across the globe. It's no longer strictly an American trend. I did not so go So, like, in... I could meet some husband from, like, Swahili, and he's like, yep, me too, dude. <laughs> Possibly. That would be awesome. I would buy him a drink. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. He's like, no, my wife doesn't like me to drink. I'm like, oh, well, my wife likes to drink with me. And then he wouldn't be my friend anymore. He would be so jealous of you. I'm sure that's wrong. <laughs> but that's Isn't all I... Swahili a language and not a place? I don't know. I'm drinking. Yeah, me too. Oh, well. But that's all I really have. Really? That's what I had to teach you today about the wedding ring. That's it? Thanks to our friends for getting married and inspiring me. That's all you got? That's all I got. That's all you got? Really? You're talking about, like, promise rings and the, when the pearl came about or anything like that, which, for someone like It's another you, podcast! Well, I mean, if you're going to condense them like a can of milk, talk about all-in-one, maybe. I was tired of writing, thanks. Tell the truth. I wanted to drink beer! Yeah, the girl. <laughs> okay, well, I actually nearly spoiled my topic because you guys know our mo is we don't know what the other is going to talk about uh until we do this and i nearly spoiled my topic today and beth will know why it's about soon sandwiches enough. it is not about sandwiches but that was the earl of sandwich that actually because he liked to gamble and so he had his servants bring him some meat between two pieces yeah of biscuit. we talked about that before and not on the podcast though didn't we not on the podcast. I swear we've talked about that recently. Probably recently, but not on the podcast. 
Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to tell you about Milton Martin Levine. He was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on November 3rd in 1913. And uh, he served in World War II in Europe in an engineer unit in France and Germany. And while in France, he met his future wife, Morissette Schneider. Do you think they had a double wedding ring ceremony? Well, they married in 1945, <laughs> so there's a good chance. <laughs> they had three children, two girls and a boy. After the war, he went into the plastics industry with his brother-in-law, E. Joseph Cosman, who there is, like, no information on. I know nothing about. There's not even a Wikipedia page about that guy. His name shows up in red and says, you need a page. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's helpful. They made a deal with Nosco Plastics, which stands for uh, National Organ Supply Company or Corporation. Which, yep, they made plastic organ parts, like for electric organs. Um, Nosco made them uh, their flat toy soldiers that they marketed as 100 toy soldiers for $1. Later on, the price would go up a little bit to a Like the little quarter. plastic green dudes? No. Um, Nosco also made Cracker Jack prizes. They're, they're what you'd call slum. They're flat, cheap, plastic things that are, you know, not fun toys. They're not great toys, but, I mean, they're toys. And um, they advertised the toy soldiers in American comic books of the day. So, like, your action comic stuff, like, probably, there's probably a Batman comic with advertisements for these 100 toy soldiers for $1. Or $1.25. Um, but so the comic book advertising made their sales skyrocket. Until people and got them and found out they were crappy. No, they still ordered them. They sold a lot of them. So much so uh, that they decided that they were going to sell shrunken heads and potato guns. And they advertised them the same way. And they were also very successful. <clears throat> and at a 4th of July picnic, Milton spotted a mound of ants that would be the inspiration for his best known product and a name change. The ant farm. The original ant farms were six by nine inches, so about. Did they come with ants, or did you have to provide your own ants? Um. Well, they cost about twenty nine, and if you bought an ant farm, you actually had to mail a request in, and you would receive twenty five ants in the mail. To stick into that little eBay thing, and how'd your ants stay alive during the mailing? Uh, they probably came. They came in a vial, it said, with, with some food and stuff. It's not like they're all just smashed in an envelope. Hmm. Um. <laughs> yes, they, they, <laughs> they came alive. They didn't get smashed. But uh, he thought of the name of the company because, and I quote, Someone said that if I've got all these ants, then I must be the uncle. And um, he's from Pittsburgh, so that accent was not a Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania accent. But the species of ant is Pogonomyrmex, Pogonomyrmex, something like that. Is this different than the ant out in my uh, front yard? Pogonomyrmex, Californicus, not California. They're California ants. Well, they're indigenous to the southwestern United States, but that's what their species name is. So what do you feed an ant? How do you keep these ants alive in their farm? You'll have to get an ant farm. I don't want out. an ant farm. I don't want ants in our house. You uh, you feed them breadcrumbs or other bugs. How long do ants live? 
I don't know. I didn't I didn't look at the lifespan of them. And how do you get your dead ants out? No, you don't. Okay. I didn't write this down, but I just know this. They eat them. No. They have a cemetery. Ants have a cemetery. They bury their dead in a separate spot. And if you reorient your ant farm, they'll dig up the cemetery. I think it's always in the northeast corner. They will move the dead to the northeast corner. What happens when they run out of room? Then you're out of ants because there's only 25. Well, you can't keep adding new ants to this. Don't they have babies? You need a queen ant to have baby ants. Aww. There's no hope of them ever having... Well, that's just sad. (laughs) Robin, it's so sad. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Well... At the time of his death, which was January 16th of 2011. Pretty recent. Over 20 million units were sold of just the ant farm. And he died of natural causes at 97 years old. Now, Beth, I had sent you a link. Open your phone. Because the Uncle Milton Company is still going strong. And they do amazing things. So, like, you've got the In My Room stuff there. Which, we got my brother, when he was a baby, we got him that moon in my room, which is, uh, it's like a wall-mounted nightlight, but it's on a remote control, and you can do different moon phases. And I guess now, look, they have a Mars in my room. We've got uh, our daughter, the rainbow in my room, which is super cool. We didn't get her that. We didn't? I thought your mom got her that. I bought her that, I thought. I thought your mom bought that. I thought I told her to then. Somehow I was involved in that. Yeah, your mom bought her that. Okay, well, I swear I was involved in that decision. It is pretty cool, and she still loves it. I want the torch. But now, I mean, if you guys... I want the torch in my room. If you guys go to UncleMilton.com, you're going to find some really cool stuff, because a lot of these things are super educational, and uh, they're partnered with Marvel and Disney and National Geographic. Look in here. They've got a star theater. It looks like a projector that projects constellations. It's basically like your own oh, planetarium. That's the word I was looking for. Ooh, I know somebody that would like a T-Rex in my room. Yeah. And if you go back a page, Beth, back to the main page, and click on the Star Wars. Because, yeah, they're partnered with Star Wars. I assume they're partnered with Disney at this point. They've got, well, I'm seeing a lot of Disney on here. So they've got a holographic, uh, like, X-Wing trainer. It looks like it's the X-Wing in the Dagobah Swamp. But if you click to that third circle on the top, they have a color-changing lightsaber wall-mounted light. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it mounts right on the wall, guys. You, Th- that'd you could be, be awesome. a Sith Lord. It looks like you can have a yellow one. Oh, man, it's every color of the rainbow. So you... You could be Mace Windu. I would be Mace Windu. I would be a mother and Jedi. And all their all their toys like look super duper like educational. There's Marvel Science. There is the genuine ant farm. Uh, they've got fireworks, light show, all sorts of things. But I really encourage our listeners. To go ahead. Here, you take my phone. Beth's having trouble accessing things. I am. I really encourage you guys to check out some of the cool stuff that they produce. <gasps> Ooh. She's ooing, but not eyeing. Well, you look got, at all the dino stuff. Yeah, there's tons of dinosaur stuff. They have, like, did you see? There's a dinosaur face mask that's yeah. goggles. And it is super sweet. 
Um, Beth will put a link to Uncle Milton's on her Facebook page. I will. Because it's pretty awesome. Okay, I'm checking out the ant farm right now. <gasps> wow, that's a the vintage ant farm. The vintage one is... Does it have the tractor and the There's silo also a 60th anniversary ant farm. 60th anniversary? Yeah. Wow. And there's uh, an ant farm light-up gel colony. Now the gel, I suppose, would be like the stuff that's inside diapers. <laughs> Ew. Not the stuff inside dirty diapers. Oh, you'll be glad to know that the ant farms are break-resistant and escape-proof. They're pretty awesome. We had one in elementary school. They come with a tip-proof stand. See, the reason that I told you guys that I almost spoiled my topic for tonight is because our youngest son loves dinosaurs. And he loves excavators. So today... <gasps> There's a roly-poly playground! Yes, Beth's very excited now, guys. She's totally jazzed. Jacked up on Mountain Dew or something. But they have a T-Rexcavator game. It's basically like Operation, but it is oh, that's a... that's how you were able to send that to me. Dinosaur skeleton in the ground and you pick it out. And yeah. But Beth's still looking and she's just making faces. She's being really helpful, actually. She's just smiling and shaking her head. And... I really want the Explorer's Torch in the National Geographic Now, board. is that the one that you can pull off of the wall? Uh-huh. And you can walk to the bathroom with a torch? I can. That'd be awesome. It lights a safe path in the dark. Realistic flickering flame wall mount. You can also use that to fight mummies. That would be so cool. We have so many mummies at our house. Yeah. I mean, they're everywhere. Ooh, Mummy's I know surrounded. some people that would like this 4-in-1 Explorer navigation tool also. Beth, this is an audio show. You'll have to tell people about it. It's a compass thing. <laughs> it's a compass thing, guys. Hey, you can get shoe lights. How cool is that? I need some of those. You, like headlights for your shoes? Yeah. You'll just be staring down, and then you'll walk into a tree branch. They totally mount on your shoes. Actually, that's not a bad idea if you're not just looking at your lights. I can't see in the dark. She is not a bat, folks. I'm not. Okay, well, again, I encourage you guys to check out UncleMilton.com. And Beth will put a link on our social meets. Um, our Facebook page and our Twitter page, if you look up Alka, huh, you can find us. Yep, um, and we're also uh, Gmail accessible. That's alkahuh at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm EJ. I'm Beth. Skull, everybody. Skull. Good night.